Bible, and I sincerely hope that you do, please turn with me to the book of Revelation, 17th chapter. Um, so we are quickly closing in on the end of the book of Revelation, uh, but uh, we, we are making our way, 17, chapter 17, we will read, um, I don't know if we'll make it all the way through, but we will read the whole uh, of Revelation 17 tonight. And uh, hopefully we'll make it through, uh, but if not, well, there's always Lord willing next week. So, uh, Revelation chapter 17, Revelation chapter 17, and as I said, we'll go through verses 1 through 18, so the entire chapter, Revelation chapter 17. Uh, so if you're physically able to do so at this point, please stand with me one more time as we honor the ring of God's holy and written word. Revelation, the 17th chapter, hear the word of the Lord that's given to us tonight. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying to me, Come here, I will show to you the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet, sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations, that's literally unclean things, and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with a great admiration. Now that's a great amazement. And the angel said to me, Where, <clears throat> Wherefore did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. And the beast that you saw was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of the life from the foundation of the world, when they, beheld, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which this woman sits. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the, is of the seventh, uh, and goes into perdition. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings which are received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kingdoms one hour with the beast. And these have one mind, and shall give their power and strength to the beast. And these shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he says to me, The waters which you saw where the horse sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and, lang and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw upon the beast, these shall hate the whore. And they shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn with her with fire. For God has put into their hearts to uh, has put in their hearts to fulfill His will and to agree and give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God should be fulfilled. And the woman which you saw is the great is that great city, which reigns over the kings of the earth. Let's pray, Father. This is Your Word. We have now read. We now pray that You would give us wisdom. And we pray You would bless the reading of Your Word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you can be seated. 
So, uh, we have a very unique chapter before us. Not that all of Revelation isn't unique, uh, but I would liken this uniqueness to the same uniqueness of the, of the, of the red dragon and, the, uh, and all of the, 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 draw, the throwing down of the stars uh, earlier in the book of Revelation. I would liken it more toward that um, with uh, all of the imagery that is here. I, I, think, I think it's important for us to understand that um, everybody views Revelation symbolically. Everybody. It, it is a book full of symbols. The question is... Um, how we interpret those symbols. That, that's, that's really what matters. Uh, and so uh, we, as we dig in through here, as we dig in, uh, we, I'm going to seek to be as faithful to the text as I can be. And uh, I, want to, I, I pray you will do your own work and your own study as we, as we look and as we think through this passage of Scripture. So with that said, let me simply start by saying this. So we have now finished with the seven, uh, the seven plagues or the seven vials, the bowls, the bowl judgments. And one of the angels now that was given the task of pouring out the bowls upon the earth in the wrath of God now summons, he beckons, invites John, and he now says, come and look at what God is going to do. So now, now that all the bowls have been poured out upon the world, um, John, now, John now is invited to see what is going to happen to the great prostitute, the great prostitute, what is going to happen to her, and what will ultimately happen in chapter uh, 18 with the, with the kings of the nations. Uh, so in chapter 17, though, we, we see that, that this, this, this woman, this prostitute, along with the kings of all the earth, have committed great adultery. That is, that they have covenanted together against the God of heaven, against the great and high sovereign king of heaven, not to bow their knee to Christ. They have covenanted together instead to see that, that, uh, the, the, that Christ and his kingdom is all, but lo- is all, uh, is all loathsome to them. It is, it, is, it is evil in their sight. They hate the very thought of the kingdom of righteousness, of the kingdom of heaven. Right? They, they, they hate the very idea of righteousness. And it's said that as a result... That this woman sits upon a loathsome beast. Now, 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 don't misunderstand the picture of which John is giving us or the readers within the context in which they read this. John purposefully, by God, God giving him this, God is communicating to us and to them as well that this was a very horrific sight. A, a brazen prostitute sitting upon a brazen and wicked being, the seven-headed beast. And not, if, if that were not enough, right, um, her cup that she holds in her hand is filled with the blood of the martyrs. It's filled with the blood of the saints of Christ. And she has become drunk on the blood of the saints and the martyrs. You know, there is an old saying in the church, it goes back to the very to the very beginning of of uh, early the early church. It says that uh, 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 the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And this is true. The blood of the martyrs continues to be the seed of the church. The church is uh, the church's growth is watered by oftentimes is watered by the blood of the saints who've given their lives for the sake of the cause and the testimony of Christ. 
And her ultimate sin, then, is not that she is a prostitute and not that she's even riding this beast. But as we see here, that this mother of all prostitutes, right, if you prefer that word over the, the King James word of a whore, um, but this mother of all prostitutes has gorged herself, has drunk herself to a stupor on the blood of God's people. She hasn't just objected to God and his righteousness, but has rather hated God's people because they belong to him. And so the, the, the John is summoned, and he now sees this, and it's, a, it's an interesting part. And, 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 it will, and John is setting up for us a distinction here. Because if you read in chapter 19, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb and the bride who is adorned for her bridegroom, and all the beauties and the sumptuous feast of the, of the bride that is set, the bridegroom that is set before the bride, and the feasting of the bride set in all of her beauty, set in all of her splendor, set in all of her glory because of Christ and his sacrifice. That, will, that is being established for us by looking first at this hideous, wicked woman and this hideous and wicked being who is the complete opposite of Christ and his church, Christ and his people. And it is interesting because if you do look throughout the Old Testament, you will find that particularly the, the idea of prostitution is used in one of two ways um, in, in prophetic literature. It's first used uh, in the sense of God uh, condemning Israel for her prostitution, so, for instance, in Isaiah 121, or, uh, you know, it, it talks about um, her uh, uh, Jerusalem being unfaithful and has become like a prostitute, is what Isaiah tells us. Uh, Jeremiah also speaks rather candidly about um, Israel's adulteries and lustful neighings. Ezekiel gives us some very vivid imagery of the wickedness of Israel's sin and prostitution. And if you don't believe me, read Ezekiel. Um, and it talks about in Jeremiah 22-24 that Israel was often likened to like a donkey sniffing the wind in her wild and lustful cravings. And shameless prostitution in Jeremiah 13-27 and on, on and on it could go, on and on it goes. But that doesn't really seem to fit the picture here of, of that way in which it's used, does it? Because in, uh, in Revelation chapter 17, it does appear that, well, it doesn't just appear, it is the cause that this, this prostitute is, is a pagan city. It is a pagan city. So, so what is the other way in which it's used in the Old Testament? Well, so, for instance, if you go to Nahum, the book of Nahum. Nahum was, was written, it's a, it's a book that prophesied the, the downfall of Nineveh and, 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 and rebukes Nineveh for all of her wickedness um, and, and all, of the, all of the mercies that God had um, upon them. Uh, you know, it wasn't that long uh, prior to this, one generation previously, that Jonah had been sent and had, had pronounced judgment upon Nineveh and now, one generation later, Nineveh has now apostatized from her repentance. And as a result, in the book of Nahum, Nahum chapter 3, verse 4, God says this to her. He says, Because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, 
the mistress of witchcrafts that sells nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts. And he just goes on from there talking about their, um, about their downfall. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 5, Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will discover your scars. I, I will uncover them, and I will pull them up over your face, and I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. And this seems to be, and, and this is why it, it appears that, that, that the Lord um, likens the, nation, or the, the, the prostitute here in Revelation 17 to, uh, to Babylon or to, 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 to the nations um, previously who, have, who, who refuse to bow their knee. Uh, likewise, Isaiah does liken places like Tyre and Sidon um, as a forgotten prostitute. Um, and 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 so so the idea here is that of 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 power and luxury that has been mingled with um, all sorts of of religious uh, religious uh, symbolisms and religious sorts of practices, and as, that has resulted in power and luxury uh, for this for this prostitute and for the nations even, and really. More uh, throughout Revelation, outside of of uh, Babylon here, the Great, I, I think the other the other person that comes clearly into view as a as a as an unfaithful wife and as an unfaithful partner is that of Jezebel. Uh, Jesus Jesus talks about Jezebel and the uh, the wickedness that has uh, that has permeated uh, even one of the churches uh, in the, in the seven churches earlier in the book and the this, the idea of Jezebel continuing on throughout the book of Revelation continues it does it does permeate uh, the ongoingness of 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 this of of this book and and so they are this but this prostitute is adorned in luxury and she is intoxicated with the blood of the saints. She stands dominantly astride the world system. She stands dominantly astride of the world system, living it up, enjoying the fact that she has seduced the nations for her own personal gain over against the righteous demands of Christ, over the righteous demands of God, She has seduced the nations to listen to her siren call versus submitting to the call and the command of the sovereign King of Kings and Lord of Lords who commands and demands the nations repent and turn to Christ. And I think John's images then really are timeless in that they portray this essential conflict that is constantly going on. It constantly is going on among the nations even today. That, that, that no matter the time period in which we find ourselves from the beginning of time to the end, God's people will experience at certain times great persecution. Right? There, there's no doubt that we will face at various times we have faced and at various times we will face persecution. But that doesn't mean that God is either helpless or that God has stopped working in and among the nations. So we don't, we don't lose heart because we face persecutions. We don't lose heart because we face problems. We don't lose heart because our hope is in the gospel of is in the is in the gospel of our God, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he, as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, are plowing the nations under for his glory and his honor's sake, that he would be shown to be the sovereign and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
And it is interesting here that though this woman is presented in Revelation chapter 17 as, as, very, as, as, a, as a very luxurious, uh, powerful person, um, it's not going to be very long before she is stripped naked and she is put to shame before all the nations. All of this luxury and intoxication that she now has, all that's going to be taken, it's going to be taken away. It's going to be stripped from her. Her power, her luxury, her, 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 her ability to persecute the peoples of God. She's going to be dethroned and she's going to be deposed. She's going to be cast down out of her harlotry. And she's no longer going to be allowed to seduce the nations. She's no longer going to be allowed to express her worldly power in, in this way that persecutes the people of God and that withstands the sovereign God of the universe who sits upon the throne of the universe. But instead, he will judge her with, the, with equity, with, with, with the enemies, with all the enemies of those who stand against righteousness. And he will, as a result, then usher in the kingdom of eternal joy as he deposes her and he plows the nations with the gospel, bringing them, bringing all things to a close for his own glory as he rules and reigns sovereignly over the nations. But it's interesting that this prostitute is something else is going on here in verse 1. And it says that she's sitting upon what? Many waters. Now, why would the Lord have John or point this out to John? Or why would John see this? Why would the angel point this out to John? Why would John feel the necessity to, um, to write this down? Well, if you go to um, verse 15 of Revelation 17, listen to what it says here. It says, and he says to me, the waters which you saw where the whore sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Um, it is interesting that since the prostitute is later called, uh, here in just a few verses, he, she's called the uh, uh, Babylon the Great, or the, the great uh, the mystery Babylon the Great, and the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth, as, as uh, John writes here in verse 5 for us. It is interesting uh, that this description actually comes from an Old Testament passage. You say, well, now, uh, what Old Testament passage would that be? Well, if you go backwards to the book of Jeremiah, you'll see in Jeremiah chapter 51, in Jeremiah chapter 51, you will see uh, where this, this is the case. Let me get there. In Jeremiah chapter 51, and we will look at verse 13. Jeremiah 51 and verse 13. It says this. O you that dwell upon many waters, abundant in treasures, your end is come, and the measure of your covetousness. This is pulled directly from the Old Testament. And as a matter of fact, I mean, if you, if you went back to the Old Testament, uh, the, Old Te uh, the, the book of Revelation could quite, and I, th I know I've said this before, but I'll say it again. The book of Revelation really could, really could be uh, cited for plagiarizing the Old Testament. I mean, the, the John fills, fills the book of Revelation, and, and the book of Revelation is filled with Old Testament scripture after Old Testament scripture after Old Testament scripture. And it's important that we know that. But it's a, this reference is, an, is, a, is a reference to the numerous canals that are distributed, right, that distribute the water, right? So if you remember um, back in the book of, of Genesis, we are told that from the garden, right, went all of the, the, went the four different main rivers. 
And this is the idea here is that, uh, that from the surrounding territory of the Euphrates, every, every offshoot that goes into the rest of the world, right, um, this, is, this is the symbolizing, it is the symbolizing of that. Uh, and actually symbolizes the influence that Rome has as it flows out throughout the entire world. Uh, that, that Rome had and has in, in th and, and flows throughout the entire world. And the kings of the earth, I mean, they don't get a pass here, right? I mean, they don't. I mean, John is very clear um, and says that uh, with whom, speaking of the, the, the pro prostitute, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, notice that that is a little different than what he says about the woman. So not that their sin is any less, but that it is, it is in a different, uh, it is in a different uh, uh, pathway. In other words, hers, her sin is that she's been made drunk with the wine of the martyrs, with the saints, but they have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And I think that is an important point that we need to understand. Not, not that their sin is any less, not that they have any less sinned against the God of heaven, not that they have any less sinned by, uh, by, by being drunk with her fornication, but it only charges the prostitute. John here sees this, this vision that only charges the prostitute, this, this, the, the, the great whore, the great prostitute, they, it only charges her with the sin of being drunk with the blood of the saints with the blood of the martyrs. It's interesting that these apostate nations, uh, all, all of these, uh, the, 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 these kings of the earth, these are apostate nations that have, again, sought their own ways in the nations and sought to make their name great. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, um, it, it is interesting here that, that John, uh, John is allowed to see this, this furthering of, of what we're talking about here. Because it says, The beast that you saw was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, and that is in amazement, whose names are not written in the book of, uh, of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not, and yet is. So, so this is some this is some some interesting language that's being used here, and we have to be able to decipher what all this means. But at the end of the day, we do understand that the that the influence of her her wicked doctrine, her wicked teaching, her wicked her wicked idolatrous worship has permeated the nations. It has permeated the nations. And it is interesting here that it does say that, that it permeates all of the nations um, and, and to the point that, um, that uh, in verse 8, right, that, um, that the nations will be amazed at this beast, this, this beast that is, that is to come, or this beast that is and yet is not and yet is. Uh, so, um, you know, if you figure that out, let me know. Uh, but the reality is, that, that, that God is showing us his great and sovereign gospel work as he promises, as we'll see, as he promises that this woman is going to be, just as prostitute, is going to be judged by God. He is going to be, he's actually going to use the nations to rip her into pieces. 
and to eat her. And again, the idea there being from Jezebel, right? Jezebel was eaten by the dogs. God is going to use the, the nations uh, likening them to, to, uh, to, to living beings to eat her. And she is going to be devoured like Jezebel was devoured. And it is interesting um, that I think that as we look and we go on into verse 3 here, we see a lot of different things going on. So it says, it says this is what John says to us. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, I want you to know something. John saw a beast with seven heads and ten horns, and John saw a woman sitting on that. And, but yet, even in that, we understand that this stands for something, right? This is, this is, uh, this is language, this is symbolic language that John is that God is is allowing John to see. This is this is a, a a an image, a picture image, if you will, of what's going to happen. So I don't want any of you thinking that there is going to be at the end of time a seven-headed, ten-horned beast that comes up out of nowhere. It's not what this tells us. Okay? It's not what this tells us. John understood that this was symbolic, as the prostitute was. This was symbolic of what was to come and what was to happen. And what was that? Well, four times John says something very interesting here. In verse 3 he says, So he carried me away in the Spirit. This is, this is, John uses this four different times. He's only going to use this one other time. Um, in, the book of, in, in, the, in the book of Revelation, it's only going to be used one more time. That's going to be found in 21.10. And he says that he was carried away. And it's a, reference, it's a reference to God's visionary experience that he allowed him to see. He allowed him to, to, to look at. He allowed him to see unfold. And, and as the vision unfolds, John again says, what? He says he sees a woman. This same woman, right? This same woman, with the one with whom all of the, all of the kingdoms of the nations have been made drunk with her fornication. This woman is riding upon this beast. She is now riding upon, sitting stride of this great beast. And it's, a, it's an amazing picture of, of, of the systems of the world as they set themselves up and establish themselves against Christ and against his kingdom, thinking that, you know, that it's even possible to do that. So they set up their own pagan worship. They set up their own religious worship that it may, may look good, may even look a little bit like Christianity. Hey, it may even look a lot like Christianity, but at the end of the day, they do not want to worship the God of the Bible, so they establish their own wicked uh, their own wicked religions, their own illicit religions. But I would say this. This has much to tell us about the way that the world viewed Rome. It's a great meaning for us to understand this is how the world viewed Rome. There is an old saying that all roads lead to Rome. Rome exercised a great power. Rome exercised great authority over the nations dominated the nations at the height no one dared to exercise any sort of resistance to that great empire of Rome and it's important that we understand that 
that Rome here, in their seductive practices that they're working, it's acting as an intoxicating factor among all the nations, whereby they are establishing and setting themselves up against God and his people. Because we know from reading from places, now, although it's not scripture, certainly, we certainly know from the book of Revelation that uh, of, of, of one martyr, we know of another martyr uh, in, uh, in, old, in the New uh, uh, in the uh, early church called Justin Martyr. That was, wasn't his last name. It's how he got his last name was that he was martyr. Um, and we know of, of th- by reading things like uh, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, we know of many, 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 many faithful brothers and sisters throughout the, the reign of Rome who gave their life all because they refused to burn a pinch of incense to Caesar and simply say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. That's all you had to say. Caesar is Lord. You don't have to say anything less. You don't have to say anything more. You don't even have to mean it. You just got to say it. Why can't we say it? Well, listen. Well, no, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But I will just say this. If we're not careful, I would not be surprised if there were not a whole lot of evangelical leaders who would tell us, you know, you don't have to mean it. You just have to do it. Just do it. I think that permeates our world system today, even our religious systems today. And I don't have to mean it. You don't really have to like it, but you just do it. I think we have to be careful. No, I don't think. I know we must be careful of not allowing ourselves to be drawn away by the wickedness of the nations, even by those who claim to be in the name of Christ, those who claim to represent Christ. We must be careful not to be allowed our, to allow ourselves or our church to be drawn away by sin and enticed, or by the, by the, by the siren call of, of those who would tell us that we can, we can burn a little pinch of incense and say Caesar is Lord, but not really mean it because we really mean Jesus is Lord. We must be careful. We must be careful that we do not become drawn away like the nations uh, to the great prostitute that is mentioned here who, who has, who has, made the nations drunk with her with her fornication we must be careful not to not to see ourselves rejoicing and 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 in in these things right and as the vision unfolds i mean john is seeing this woman not not sitting upon many waters now right but now riding upon the beast this scarlet colored beast why is he scarlet colored beast Well, he's scarlet-colored because he's been stained by the blood of the martyrs that she has been destroying. This beast is stained with the blood of the martyrs. This beast that rose up out of the sea in chapter 13, right? it is this great persecuting power that rules by brute force. And it is the supreme enemy of Christ and his church. It is the supreme enemy of Christ and his church. It is it is a, a it is it is a, a a very wondrous sights sight that we see here with this woman. And it is interesting that it's said that that what what is going on here? Well it says that this beast was what? It was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So what is, I mean, why, why again, why does it matter? Well, we, we talked a little bit about this back when we, when we actually encountered this beast the first time in Revelation chapter 13. 
But I do think it does go, go mentioning that it is important for us to mention a couple of, a couple of things. Um, one, um, it, it, is, it is, again, no, no, no coincidence that, it, that this beast is covered with blasphemous names. Now, we're not told in Revelation 13 that this beast is covered with blasphemous names. This is something that John now gives us. He's allowed to see, and he now fills us in, that this beast is not only this color, but it's also filled with blasphemous names and covered, covered its entire body. And, and I, I would say would, would even be a, a reference to uh, not just the Roman emperors who saw themselves as being deities, but also all tyrants throughout history who have seen themselves and set themselves up as deities. We even have rulers today who see themselves as deities, who are worshipped as deities. Even, even among the, the atheistic societies that still uh, rule and reign, the communist societies that still are on earth in China or North Korea or other places where their rulers are worshipped as gods and offerings are made to them. Yes, they say they worship nothing. They don't believe in a god. But if you look at their society, everything is about their supreme leader. It's all about him. Celebrate his birthday. Celebrate his, his legacy. Celebrate him. Bring offerings before him. And yet Christ has swept them away in the dustbin of history. Christ has swept them away and will continue to sweep away nations who do this. Nations who set themselves up with blasphemous names upon themselves. And he sets this, this, this beast to set itself up as divine Savior and Lord. And it's, it's, this beast is not so much proclaiming to God, hey, look at me, as much as he's saying to everyone, look how great and glorious and grandiorous I am. I don't know if that's a word, but you'll forgive my bad English, hopefully, if it's not. But, but this, look, how, look how beautiful this, this, this beast is. Look how beautiful I am. Look how worthy I am for you to follow me. You know, it kills me. We are in a place as a nation when you can put a person to run for, I don't care what office, and a person, but he is just a very plain person, and you can put a beautiful person who has not a brain, two brain cells to rub together between them, right? Who is as dumb as a doornail, and you can set them up and tell them to say the right things, and somebody who knows what he's talking about and would lead well, they're saying, ha, we don't like that guy. We want Mr. Beautiful here. Well, this is the idea here of the dragon. This dragon is beautiful. Everybody's like, oh, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. We just love the way you look. We love what you say. You say such nice things to us. This is the idea that this beast is giving. He is self-deifying himself. He is self-deifying himself by exalting himself against the God of heaven. By saying, don't look at him. He is nothing in comparison to me. Look at me. Look to me. And it makes sense that the woman would ride this type of beast. This beast who is in love with itself as much as the woman is in love with herself. This beast that is, that is glorifying itself luxuriously as the woman does as well. And it's interesting because this woman, even for all of her beauty, do you notice how, how the Lord describes her? He doesn't describe her as a queen. He doesn't describe her as, a, as, as, a, as anything other than a prostitute. 
a prostitute. And I think it's interesting that as we look at this, we see that, we see that, that God, is, God is helping us to see very plainly where the religions of our world and the religions of, of our nations take us. They take us into destruction. They take us into destruction. And she is clothed as a prostitute. Though she is clothed with fine linen, and though it's bright and beautiful, it's linen that should be, it should be, and is worn later in chapter 19 by the bride of Christ. In Revelation 19, so this, this, this woman now takes that which is meant only for a bride, and she begins to lavishly show off her glory. And in her hand, she holds this golden cup that promises so much satisfaction. But in the end, what does God call it? An abomination. An abomination. All sorts of moral corruption, all manner of ceremonial uncleanliness. So that's what she offers. And truthfully, my brothers and sisters, that's what sin continues to offer us. It looks pretty. It looks nice. It comes in nice packages. But you get it down to it and you begin to drink it and you realize you're not drinking, you're not drinking nice things. You're drinking sludge. You're drinking poison. You're drinking, right, not good stuff. I don't know any way to say that. Not good stuff, right? You're not drinking that which was promised. Sin always does that. Religion that is not focused upon Christ always does that. It always f- says, here, I promise you will really like it. And you drink it, and you realize it isn't anything like what she promised. Don't forget that this is why in the book of Proverbs, there are two women mentioned and contrasted. And in that sense, there are two women compared and contrasted in the book of Revelation. The harlot, wiz- the harlot folly in Proverbs and the woman of wisdom. And here in Revelation, as we get through 17, 18, and 19, you will see two women contrasted clearly. And throughout the entire book is really the contrast. The woman folly, the woman prostitute folly and the woman named wisdom and it really is the question of which we are going to choose the wisdom that comes from Christ the wisdom that only comes from Christ the wisdom that is granted to us by Christ or the folly and the foolishness and the moral corruption and the the wickedness that is promised through sin which which are we going to choose which will we choose And John continues on in chapter, in, chapter, in chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. And he talks about the description of this prostitute uh, with special attention being given to the name that's written on her forehead. Now, just a real quick uh, historical s- side note. Uh, most pro- not, not all, but, but it was a fairly common practice within the Roman cults um, of the day to have the names of their, the women uh, for, who practiced cult prostitution, and as well as the men who did this as well, on their on the forehead, a name wrapped around their forehead, and and their name printed or put on their forehead. 
So this was a fairly common practice among the cult prostitutes. And John, John's audience would have clearly understood this. John's audience would have clearly understood the ramifications of what John is saying here. And so John is very clear that this, this, this name is written on her forehead, nonetheless, for all the world to see. No question, no doubt what's going on, even though she tries to hide it. Right? She is Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And then verse 6, as we close, because we'll close here, and we got through verse 6, I think it's a good stopping point for us. But in verse 6, she goes on and says, And I saw, John says, And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered, or I was amazed. I was amazed with great admiration, or literally amazement. I was amazed, I, was, I wondered with great amazement. In other words, he was astonished. He could not see, he could not believe what he was seeing. It wasn't that he was in awe of her, it was that he was like, what? I can't believe this. What is going on? This is, this is crazy. This is insane. I can't believe what I'm seeing. And John, John says he was astonished. He was astonished here. And, and, and by the way, this is not two different sets. This is not two different groups of people when it says the blood of the saints and the, and the blood of the martyrs. This isn't, this isn't uh, two different groups here. This is the, the and here is used to, to describe the same group. Um, this is the same group, the saints, their blood, as well as the saints who are the martyrs of Jesus or the, the ones who give their, their lives for the name of Jesus. Right? So he, he wants us to understand this. And he wants us to understand that this is a revolting and gory spectacle. It's a gory and revolting spectacle to him. And John sees this. He sees the true nature. He sees the true nature of the empires of the nations now revealed. He sees the true nature of Antichrist finally revealed among the nations. He sees them. And he wonders in amazement at them. And this, my brothers and sisters, I would say to us this morning, or this morning, this evening, we need to take careful, careful, careful observation of this. Because this is the price of sin. Sin gorges herself. Sin gorges herself and destroys anything that she touches she gorges herself and destroys anything that she touches. And we need to see the true nature of the sin that we are, we are embattled against. And we need to see the true nature of the nations apart from the gospel. That they are not, apart from, apart from God's sovereign work among the nations, they are not set on submission. This is the power of God. This is how God sub subverts and sub submits the nations and brings the nations to their knees. It's through the gospel because otherwise they are nothing but mindless beasts that are intent upon murder and death. But God promises, as we will see as we go on into chapter 17 and 18 and into 19, that God cannot and will not be stopped that no amount of blood spilt by his saints, no amount of those who have been murdered for the name of Jesus can stop the gospel's advance. The nations will be plowed and they will kiss the sun.
The nations will be plowed by the gospel under, and they will bow the knee, and they will kiss the Son in submission. And though the days may grow dark at times, and persecution may arise and come, my brothers and sisters, nothing stops our God and his gospel. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we have looked at our text, God, that you have helped us to be faithful. Father, help us to to take notice of what has been set before us. And let the nations rage and the kingdoms plot, but you will stand in heaven, you sit in heaven, and you laugh. And so, God, may you use us 